You are listening to the Embassy Church Podcast, and here is today's message. Charity was talking about her cat and her bird this morning. It reminded me of a time. Do I need to do something, walk somewhere to get rid of that howl? Or are you just going to fix it there? Maybe it's just howling up here, in which case, okay, I'll live with it. Oh, so... Um, anyway, we had a cat one time, and it was walking along the railing of the deck. And on the bottom of the deck was a baby blue jay. And we knew what our cat was. He He had breakfast in mind. And so as this blue jay flew up, he jumped down on the bird and caught it and had it down on the, on, the, on the deck. And then three adult blue jays attacked him. And so while these three birds were dive bombing him, the little one scurried off under a bush. And, and uh, uh, there's a sermon illustration in there, I'm sure. Um, but the cat ran, our cat ran, and it went under the deck. So there was not much room, there was maybe six inches. And it ran under the deck, and the birds went right under the deck after him. Uh, and I'm watching. And he came and he ran to the house and begged to be let in the house because these birds were just doing him in. And I've never seen a cat beg like that before, but he wanted in the house. Oh, yes. And it reminds me of a story. I'm going to tell a story on Megan because, well, she's not here. But she's listening. Hi, Megan. (laughs) Um, When she was a little girl, her and a couple of her friends were just out playing somewhere and they came across a dead bird and they looked at it and like little girls do they went oh so they decided that they would give it a funeral and bury it so they dug a little hole and they had it there and they said well what do we say and one of the girls looked at Megan and said well your dad's a pastor you should know what to say and Megan said in the name of the father in the name of the son and into the hole it goes I want to talk this morning about, guess what, the cross. Where's, where are those singers? They sang about the cross. I'm going to talk about the cross this morning. Because the cross is where we have the power to live the way God wants us to live. Everything we have, we have because of the cross. Everything we have is through the cross. The power that we have in the blood is because of the cross. Is because it was given up and shed. We don't have anything without that cross. Nothing at all. And, and we have a lot of times, God gives us revelation, and, and, we, and it's really cool when God shows us something that we've never seen before, and then we run with it because it is so awesome, and it's true. Sometimes we forget that it's the cross that makes it work. Um, a number of years ago, probably 30 or 40 years ago, we got a revelation on prosperity, but we forgot about the cross. Prosperity works. Prosperity works when you have a relationship with God. It's not a formula. It's based on having a relationship with God. The relationship is only possible through the cross. And we'll, we'll talk about that. But when we forget the cross and what God's showing us, we lose the power for it to work. We really have to... We really have to remember the cross. 
And Jesus did so much. Everything we have is through the cross. John said at the end of the Gospel of John, he said, there are not enough books in the world to contain everything that Jesus did. And he only had three years. So imagine all the stuff that we don't know of what he did. I mean, we have what the, what the four um, disciples recorded, but there's so much more that Jesus did. And we get so much out of the cross, and I, there's just no way I have time to go through it all. I, I had a lot of a hard time trying to figure out what not to say this morning. Um, we have healing through the cross. Through the whole crucifixion procedure, we have healing. By his stripes, we are healed. And it wasn't just a few lashes, right? The, 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 the lashes were designed to pull parts of your back out of your body every time it hit you. And the reason it was called 39 is because when you hit 40, your internal organs start to come out. So when Jesus hung on the cross, his back was missing. It was not there. And the reason it was missing is so that we could be healthy. It's by his stripes we're healed. Not just that we could have a healing, but that we could live healthy and never need another healing. And we have, and I'm not really going to go into that. Um, that's maybe for another time. Um, so I, I want to maybe answer some questions that you might have, that you might have asked yourself. Um, what's the big deal about the blood? What, why, why did Jesus have to die? Why did it have to be on a cross? Why, why not somebody else? Why did he have to be crucified? Why did, couldn't he die of old age? Um, these are all questions I've asked myself. So um, I want to start with Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 16. I'm going to show you something that I had never seen before. God showed me this a few months ago. Because one of the biggest questions I always had was why did Jesus have to be baptized? He didn't have any sin. So what was the purpose of the baptism? Um, and, you know, most people will say because he's identifying with, with, with man. But God showed me something more. When Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. And so why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we have to carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, settling on him. And the voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Who brings me great joy. It says in here that Jesus had to be baptized because God wanted it. But <laughs> I was reading through Leviticus. Um, well, lately I have been. Um, and it's kind of tough slugging <laughs> because it talks about all the law, uh, all the rules they had to follow and, and all that stuff. And I read, there's a section in Leviticus chapter 5. It talks about the offering, the sacrifice required to cover a sin that you do not know you committed. So if you accidentally, or if you do something, and you find out later it's a sin, or even if you make a vow to God, and find out later it was a stupid, foolish vow, then you can give the sacrifice and be released from the foolish vow. You can have your, the sin that you didn't know was sin can be covered. One of the sacrifices for that is a dove. For one of the sacrifices for sin that you did not know you committed was a dove. When Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove. 
So what was happening in the baptism was Jesus was being ordained to go to the cross and sacrifice himself. The baptism was the ordination of Jesus' sacrifice. When he got to the, three years later, got to the cross, he was the lamb, which was another sacrifice. He was the perfect lamb. And it is interesting that the only two ceremonial things God, Jesus asked us to do was baptism and the Lord's Supper. The reason Jesus was baptized is because at that point he was ordained to die for us. Now it took three years for him to get to the actual point, but he was ordained when he was baptized to die for us. And that's why the Holy Spirit came down like a dove. It was the sacrifice for a sin you did not know you committed. Most of us, when we got saved, knew we had committed some sins, but had no idea of the magnitude of the sin we had lived through, you know, until God starts to show us and teach us things. And it talks about that in James as well. It talks about the sin that does not lead to death. And if you read about it, it's talking about the sin that you don't know is a sin. But it's still a sin. And when God shows it to you, it's up to us to apply the blood of Jesus to it. It's up to, when, when the, before Jesus, it was up to them to take the sacrifice and sacrifice for the sin they did not know they committed. And so, to me, that was amazing. You know, that Jesus was ordained when he was baptized to die for us. It was the sacrifice for the sin that we didn't know we committed. But why did he have to die? What, 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 is, the, what is the purpose of it all? The redemption of humans had to be a sacrifice because the requirement of, of death. It must be blood because that is the life. So Romans 6.23 says, The payoff for a life of sin is death, but God is offering us a free gift of eternal life through our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One, and the Liberating King. The penalty for sin is death. God is a God of justice, and he's a God of mercy. And that makes my head spin, because to me, they're opposites. But if God was not a God of perfect justice, he would not be righteous. He would not be God. So every sin requires death. And Satan will make sure that that happens because that is the law that God put in place, that every sin required death. And because God is a just God, he has to have the death to cover, cover the sin. It's just a legal requirement, and there's no getting away from it. God is perfect in everything, in all of his attributes. And sometimes we cannot see how the attributes could both be in one person and be satisfied. Because uh, I, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how a just God could be a loving, merciful God at the same time. We'll get there. We'll get there. In Leviticus chapter 17, starting in verse 10. If any native Israelite or foreigner living among you eats or drinks blood in any form, it will turn against the person and cut him off from the community of your people. For the life of the body is in the blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It's the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. That is why I have said to the people of Israel, you must never eat or drink blood. Neither you nor foreigners living among you. If any native Israelite or foreigner living among you goes hunting, 
kills an animal or bird that is approved for eating, he's got to drain the blood and cover it with the earth. The life of every creature is in the blood. And that's why I have said the purpose of Israel, said to the people of Israel, you must never eat or drink the blood, for the life of any creature is in the blood. So whoever consumes blood will be cut off from the community. Jesus had to shed his blood because that is his life. I was going to go and find all the medical things that the blood does, and there are, there are many of them, but I never got there. <laughs> our, our, we don't live without blood. Without the blood taking the oxygen to our lungs, we die. We die. Without, our, without the blood taking oxygen to our brains, we, we die. And there's a whole host of other things that the blood carries throughout your body that is required for us to be healthy. The reason it had to be blood is because that was the life. And a life had to be given for the sin. So the whole law of the Old Testament was God instituting the life of an animal to be shed for the sin of the people. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking of all the sacrifices of all the millions of people that are out there. Um, the temple must have been a pretty busy, bloody place. <laughs> you know, because there's a lot going on. So the sacrifice for our sins is a life, and the life is the blood. That's why it has to be the blood. That's why last week when Megan was talking about the blood, what makes it important is its life. The blood of Jesus is the life of Jesus. To treat the blood of Jesus lightly is to treat the life of Jesus lightly. And um, that's not, it's not a good thing to do. Um, but why Jesus? Why did it have to be Jesus and not somebody else? In Romans chapter 10, I'm going to read through verses 1 to 7. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide the perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided the perfect cleansing, the sacrifice would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once and for all, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year, for it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That's why when Jesus came to the world, he said to God, you didn't want animal sacrifices or sin offerings. You have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. And then I said, look, I've come to do your will as it's written about me in the scriptures. It's not possible for the bloods of animals to cleanse the sin. It has to be the blood of a righteous person to actually wash the sin away. And, and Jesus was the only righteous person. He's the only one who did it and did it right. And did it and did it right. So, when somebody comes to you, or when the thought comes to you that you are not saved, that you are not a good person, that you are not what God wants you to be. Remember this. The only one who did it right is Jesus. The only one who can condemn you is Jesus. 
And the Bible says in Romans, I think chapter 8, that he's actually praying for you. So the only one who can condemn you is Jesus, because he's the only one who did it right. And what is he doing? He's praying for you. So just something to remember, that when you feel condemned and you feel rotten about yourself, it's not you. It's not your thoughts, and it's certainly not God's thoughts. Um, just, a, just a side note. But God is a God of justice, and he's a God of mercy. And the cool thing is that when Jesus died on that cross, he fulfilled both of those mandates. Because he was pure and sinless, his blood qualified to wash away all of our sins, and the justice was met. So the part of God that demanded a death for the sin, it was Jesus who died to satisfy that. It's a legal requirement. The part of God that wanted relationship with his people and wanted mercy was also settled at the cross because the sacrifice had been made. Um, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but oh, the veil. We'll talk about the veil later, but the veil covered the Holy of Holies. When Jesus died, that veil was split right down the middle. It was split in half, and it was to keep people safe from the presence of God destroying them. And when Jesus died, the sacrifice was done. Our sins were washed away, and, G and God could have a relationship with us. In the, in, the, in the upper room where the 120 were praying and the tongues of fire landed on the people, it was in a whirlwind, right? That whirlwind made so much noise, the whole city heard it. And then the tongues of fire came out of the whirlwind and landed on the people. When Moses led the people out of Israelites, the presence of God was a whirlwind with light in it. It was light in the dark, and it was a cloud in the daytime. But it says that, G, that God looked down on the Egyptians from the pillar of the cloud, the whirlwind in the cloud. So when the tongues of fire came out of the whirlwind and landed on the people, every Jew would know that that's the presence of God coming out of the whirlwind and landing on the people and landing in the people. So when that happened and the tongues of fire landed on the people, that was the Holy Spirit moving into them. And that's all because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. It, it's, it's amazing. But why did it have to be a cross? Ever wonder that? Why couldn't he have been killed by a wild animal? Or why couldn't he have been killed by a robber or something? History tells us that the cross, the same means of, the same means of punishment that was given to Jesus was the worst kind of punishment that could ever be given to the lowest of criminals at the time. Crucifixion is a method in which Romans put the lowest criminals, such as slaves, political rebels, thieves, they put them to death. And the worst kind, the most shameful kind of punishment is possible at the time. The word, the, the Greek word for cross actually means a pole. So there's a lot of discussion among biblical scholars as to whether it was actually a cross the way we know it, or whether it was a pole and his hands were behind his back when they nailed him to the tree. Um, and I don't think it really matters. It was excruciating either way. Um, But everything Jesus did at the cross was for us. 
So the shame, he died shame. He was hung there completely naked. There was no loincloth on Jesus when he hung on that cross. And he took that shame for us so that we don't have to have shame. Shame is probably one of the biggest things that drives people away from God because shame will wants you to isolate. When you do something and you kind of hate yourself for what you just did and you want to run and hide, when you pack up and move to another city to get away from it, it's shame that's pushing you to do that. That is shame. And Jesus died so that we don't have to have that. And, and Satan will do everything he can to make sure that shame is heaped on you so that you feel rotten about yourself so that you don't run to God. You know, um, another side note, fear, God created fear. It's an emotion. We have it in us. The purpose of it was to us to run to God when we were afraid. Fear is designed for self-preservation. It was designed for us to run to God when we're afraid. But if we're afraid of God, where are we going to run? Um, then when we're attacked by fear, we will go anywhere except God because we're afraid that God is going to be angry. But God's anger was all satisfied on the cross. And it's a legal thing. It's like a court of law. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a legal term. So I don't know what the court of heaven is like. So I'm just going to liken it to one of the courts that we have. And it may be completely out to lunch because I have no idea what the court is like in heaven. But you have a judge, which would be the father, sitting up there. And me, I'm standing here. And Satan comes along and tells God everything I have done, every sin I've committed. And he says to God, it deserves death. And God says, yes, it does. It deserves death. And then Jesus stands up and says, yes, it does deserve death. Yes, he did all those things. But my blood applies to him. And God says, not guilty because it's already been shed. It's already been looked after. It's a legal term. It is a legal term. And it's the cross that did that for us. It's the cross that did it. So Jesus was crucified on a cross because he went through so much for us before he died. The, the stripes he went through for healing wasn't so that we could be saved and get to God. It was so God, not so we could go up to heaven, it's so heaven could come down to earth. Other than the actual death of Jesus, everything that happened on that crucifixion week was to bring God down to us. And it was his plan. The chief priests demanded crucifixion because they believed it would curse Jesus forever. Because it says in Deuteronomy chapter 21, if someone does something so wicked that it's punishable by death, and if you execute that person and then hang the body on a pole, don't leave the body up there overnight. Bury it the same day because everyone who hangs is cursed by God. Otherwise, you will defile the ground the eternal your God is giving you to live on. So when the chief priests called for Jesus to be crucified, they were calling him to be cursed by God forever. And they thought that if you could crucify him and hang him on a pole, then he would be cursed forever. And that's what the law said. That word cursed there 
It's to look at as contemptible because it's considered worthless, adding insult to injury of no consequence, overlook, to overlook as slight, small, superficial, insignificant, ignoring what the real value is, especially when it's sacred to God, rendering somebody ineligible and disqualified to receive God's blessing, a curse associated with being disgraced, discredited, and contemptible. So Jesus was the curse. Galatians chapter 3. Let me read you through this. Those who depend on the law, no, the law, when I say, when, when it's talking about the law, it's talking about all the rules and regulations, the sacrifices. Um, so when the chief priests wanted Jesus crucified so he would be cursed, it was the law that they were quoting. Those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under the curse. The scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it's clear that nobody can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For scriptures say, it's through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But when Christ rescued us from the curse by being the curse for us and hanging on a cross, the curse that was pronounced by law, when he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it's written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree, which we just read. Going into the Greek, which is the New Testament, the word rescued there is an ancient business term, meaning to buy out completely for a definite outcome, to take full advantage of a buying opportunity, recognizing the present price for future gain, satisfying a full price to gain its full advantage, acting on a special offer that may not last. So when it says that God, res Jesus rescued us, it's God paying a price for us now because, and paying the price required, not getting a deal. God paid the price that was required, knowing in the future it would provide dividends. So it's kind of like if I had to give an example. 30 years ago, when Microsoft started its Windows program, it was like 15 people working out of a garage. The company was not worth much. So if I would have went then, I could have bought Microsoft for $100,000, knowing that 20 years from now, it would be worth billions of dollars, but paying exactly what they asked for the company. That's what God did. That's what Jesus did. He paid what was required so that down the road, he would have multitudes of children and have all of us. That's what, that's what the term rescued means. He paid, and when we always talk about Jesus paying the price, that's what it was. It was paying the legal price required to have us. The word cursed in, in the Greek, what has to go down due to condemnation, the penalty curse that results when God himself curses something, emphasizes that it's devoted to destruction. God freed us from destruction. Everything we have is given to us at the cross. And I mentioned the veil before. In the Holy of Holies, in the temple, there was a Holy of Holies, and there's this big, heavy veil. It had three walls and a big, heavy veil covering the front. In there was the Ark of the Covenant, and that was where the presence of the Lord was. The high priest went in once a year 
and only once a year. He wore bells on the bottom of his robe that made noise and a rope tied to his ankle so that if he died in the presence of God, they could drag him out without going into the presence themselves. So every year, when the, in the year, every year the high priest went in once a year and it was not... <laughs> I, I put myself in the high priest's shoes and all the sacrifices that are required and I'm thinking, did I miss one? Am I going to go into the presence of God and die because I missed one of those sacrifices? But he was the only one allowed in only once a year and only to do one specific thing and then he had to come out again and not go back for a year. God had himself separated through this veil between him and all the people. So God dwelt in the middle of his people, but not really among his people. He was there in the middle. But the relationship he wanted was, couldn't happen because the sin was not wiped out yet. And just the presence of a holy God in the, pre, in the in, in, sin going into the presence of God it's just equaling destruction. So the veil kept them alive. So when Jesus died, the veil was ripped in half. Matthew chapter 27. This is a fun couple of verses. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. About three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? God abandoned him because all of our sin was landed on him. Think about that. Jesus had been with God forever since he was born, always with God. He would always go out and spend time with God. And now suddenly God turned his back on him and walked away. The rejection, when you feel rejected, whether it's from a lost relationship, whether it's from a job offer that suddenly was rescinded, whatever, when you feel rotten about yourself because you were rejected, Jesus died for that. When, when God walked away from Jesus, that rejection was on him, and he died for that rejection, so we don't have to have it. Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought that he was calling out for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. God ripped it in half because it didn't have to be there anymore. The earth shook, the rocks split apart, the tombs opened, the bodies of many godly women and men who had died were raised from the dead and they left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared to many people. I love that. God created the first zombie apocalypse. <laughs> Can you imagine living in Jerusalem and having your dead father or having your dead grandpa suddenly knock on the door and said, hi, I want to tell you about Jesus. I want to tell you what happened. I, it's, it's something that we don't talk about a lot. And we don't think about it, but it is so cool. I love, th I love that. And Jesus said in Matthew 16, Verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you have to give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all the people according to their deeds. I tell you the truth. 
Some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming into his kingdom. What did Jesus mean when he said to take up your cross? He didn't say to take up his cross. He doesn't expect us to die for anybody else. Well, some, some of us he might call to do that, but not in the same way he did, and not for the same reason he died. So what is our cross? What is our cross? The cross signifies Jesus giving his up his own will and his own wants to do what God wants. When the Garden of Gethsemane, before they arrested Jesus, he spent all night asking God if there was another way. I don't want to do this. I don't want to hang on the cross. And God said, there's no other way. It has to be this way. And Jesus said, okay. It says in Hebrews that he looked at the cross, and I've said this before, he looked beyond the cross, and he saw all the joy he could get from beyond the cross and said, I'll do it. But the only thing God got out of the cross is us. Nothing else. He had everything else. So Jesus looked beyond the cross when he was praying and saying, I don't want to do this, God. This is just too much. And then he looked and God showed him all of us. And Jesus said, that's worth it. I'm going. I'll do what you want. And they are worth it. So when Jesus took up his cross, he took up God's will for his life. So when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, he's talking about the plan he has for you. God created us all different. We were all created for a special thing. And I mentioned this the last time I spoke. God looks down in time and he says, I need a guy to do this job at this point in history. So I'm going to create somebody. I'm going to put in him the characteristics required to do it. I'm going to mold those characteristics so he does it the way I want to. And then I will be on him and it will do what I want it to do. God created each one of us with a specific purpose. And we always talk about God has a plan for your life. It's true. He has a plan for your life. But taking up our cross is giving up the pl our plan for our life and taking his plan for our life. You know, when Jesus died, he died in faith because he didn't raise himself from the dead. The Holy Spirit rose him from the dead. He died trusting God to raise him from the dead. It was obedience on his part. And so when we take up our cross, we do what God wants us to do and we trust him to do what we can't. When Jesus died, he was trusting God to do what he couldn't, which was raise him from the dead. And the Holy Spirit did that. I don't know how. I don't know what happened in hell those three days. Um, but the cross signifies us giving up our own way and doing what God wants us to do. Taking up our cross means to submit our entire lives to God in order to live out the plan for our lives. When Jesus was baptized and that dove came down, Jesus took up his cross to do what the Father wanted him to do. And he submitted to it. And then God said, this is my son whom I am well pleased because he took up the cross. Obedience, this is something Bill Johnson said I thought was really good. Obedience is delving so deep into his plan for your life that only God can bring you through the other side. Jesus obeyed to the point where it was only God that was going to raise him from the dead. He, he obeyed to the death, trusting that God would bring him back. 
and we don't all have to die. Some of us do. All, all, 11 of the 12 apostles all died. They were all murdered. And they tried to murder John, but he wouldn't die. They, no, no kidding, they stabbed him. They, they put him in a pot of boiling oil, and he didn't get hurt. He came out. They couldn't kill him. So what they did is they put him on an island somewhere where he couldn't talk to anybody. On a, and, and so they couldn't kill him, so they abandoned him to the island of Patmos. And it was there that God gave John revelation. So that's kind of cool. Um, but maybe God does call you to die. Maybe he doesn't. It's up to us to find out what God wants us to do with our lives. And when take up, taking up our cross and saying, you know, God, I would really rather just go get a job and have a nice house and buy a nice truck and just live happy. And God says, well, maybe, maybe you can have that sometime, but right now I want you to do this. He did that to me one time. I wanted a Mustang. And um, there was a nice one in Shelbrook at the dealership. And I went and looked at it, and um, I coveted a Mustang. And so I asked God, I said, can I buy the Mustang? And God said, sure, you can buy the Mustang. And I went, yes! And he said, but would you consider? <laughs> he said, would you consider taking what it would cost you to make the payments on that Mustang and do something else with it every month instead? And I said, yes, and I never got a Mustang. It's just part of picking up your cross and doing what God wants you to do. You have to sometimes put what you want down and not pick it up again. Because if you, if you put it down and you pick it up again and God doesn't say, yes, you can pick it up, it will wreck. It will cause havoc. And it will wreck your life, that thing that you want so bad. I mean, and maybe God will it'll get to the point where God will say, okay, now's a good time. You can go buy that Mustang, but God hasn't told me that yet. Um, so... I have no Mustang. I have a 14-year-old truck. <laughs> yeah. And so I just want to end by saying, if there is anybody here who would like to accept the gift that Jesus is offering you of his life and his blood and his acceptance and his love instead of what you, what you deserve, I'm going to pray. Anybody online? who's listening, if there is anything, anyone out there that really wants to have this gift that Jesus died and suffered for you to have, now's, now, now's the time. Now, now, now's the time. Jesus paid for your sins, but you have to accept it. You have to tell God, yes, apply the blood to my sins. It's a legal requirement so that when I stand before you, it's the blood of Jesus you see and not my sin. We have to make that choice because God is not like Satan. Satan will, will attack you and will force himself on you and make you think rotten things. God never does that. He will never do anything unless you ask him. Um, four and a half years ago, when God started bringing me out of the pit that I was stuck in, he never did anything until I asked him to. He, I would say, okay, God, what do I have to deal with? And he would say, self-pity. You got to deal with this. And I would deal with it. And then once that's dealt with, I would say, okay, God, what's next? He would never show me what's next until I asked him to show me what's next. Because God doesn't force himself on you. But if, the Holy, if, 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 you're, if you're sitting there or you're at home and you're thinking, I want that. I really want to be a part of that. I'm going to pray. 
and I'm going to ask everybody here to pray with me, as well as those online. And then if it's the first time you've prayed that prayer and you're accepting the gift of the blood of Jesus to be applied to your sin, come tell one of us. We'll have a prayer team up here shortly. Just come up and tell one of them. It's important that you speak out that you've made that decision. So I'm going to pray. Please just pray after me. Father God, I have sinned. Please forgive me of my sin. Apply the blood of Jesus to all my sin and wipe it away. I want to have that relationship with you that Jesus had. And so please come into my life and I will do my best to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. For more information about Embassy Church, visit our website at embassychurch.ca.